Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on The Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assist recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling, and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Uh, this week on The Living Free Show, we'll focus on how Alcoholics Anonymous helps alcoholics and problem drinkers. Uh, today, because of coronavirus restrictions, I'm interviewing from home via Zoom. So I'd like to welcome Paul to the show. Hi, Paul. Hey, Bill. Paul's an alcoholic and he's recovering with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, so, Paul, we usually start talking about, you know, family and growing up and going to school and the things that sort of influence your young life. So what was life like for you? You know, what was your family like? Did they have any, any drug or alcohol issues in the family? Yeah. No, thanks. I think on my mum's side, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of drinking. And I remember a big part of like Christmases and, um, you know, those sort of gatherings, there was a, a lot of uh, irresponsible drinking of alcohol. And, um, but, you know, you know my, my, both my mum and my dad um, didn't have um, drug and alcohol problems. My mum did have a gambling problem, which kind of came out later in life. But, yeah, mum had suffered from depression her whole life. But yeah, in terms of my exposure to alcohol, it was always pretty accepted that you could get really, um, really pissy at a, at a family thing. And, you know, they were kind of happy memories for me. You know, probably my earliest drinking was, you know, around 15, 16 at, at family things. And uh, yeah. So were you attracted to alcohol first time you tasted it? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I... Um, because uh, I was I was painfully painfully shy as a kid, for as long as I can remember, I found it really difficult to communicate with people, and and I, I remember just literally not being able to speak a lot of the time when you know when I'd be like my friends would introduce me to someone, or um, yeah, it was just debilitating kind of um, fear that I that I had, and I I remember I think I was fifteen or sixteen, and it was like at a at a um, one of those school fates kind of after hours fireworks things and yeah I had my had my first drink and um, I just I just loved it I just I felt free I felt you know I felt like part of the group that I was hanging out with and I remember lying down on the ground you know after a couple of drinks and just just feeling at peace you know a, a sense of peace that I'd never had before yeah and that's and I, I, I continued to do that as a 16-year-old. I'd find any opportunity I could to have a couple of drinks and, yeah, and I loved it. But um, I ended up, uh, you know, my dad got wind of what was going on and he, he came down on me pretty hard. I think he granted me for about 18 months and I wasn't allowed to uh, go out or do anything like that. Yeah, so that was, that was my introduction to alcohol. Well, that was a pretty severe grounding in real terms, 18 months. <laughs> you really laid down the hammer. And, uh, so yeah. how did you take that? Well, clearly it didn't work <laughs> in the long run. But, yeah, I, I took it. I, I, I got a lot of um, – I, I should correct it. Maybe it wasn't 18 months. Maybe it was 12 months. But it was a long time. But, yeah, I, I, got a, I, I really felt a bit shamed by my dad around that. And um, – yeah, it was, you know, I took it in my stride. It was year 11 and 12 at that time. And, um, you know, I just kind of focused on um, on other things, you know. Um, a, a big a big thing for me uh, at that age was I got into athletics and, and running. And um, that was, that was, you know, I, I suppose looking back, it was a way that I could control my experience. It was something that I was good at and... And that gave me a little bit of self-esteem. And, yeah, I would, you know, train seven to ten times a week. And, and I, I, I didn't train with the rest of the group. It was just me and my coach. So it was very isolated. Uh, so, yeah, that, I think that distracted me um, in those two years. 
Yeah, um, sure. Okay. So how did, what did your friends think about you being grounded? Uh, I think they thought, oh, gee, that's, that's a bit harsh, you know. Uh, yeah. They, I, I don't think they thought too much. I think they were just happy that they could still drink. You know? <laughs> uh, they weren't too concerned with my plight. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't remember getting too much flack from my mates around that, you know. Yeah, okay. So did your mum have a have a view on your drinking? Did she see it as a negative thing? Yeah, I think uh, there was more of a, definitely more of an understanding around it. Uh, and, uh, you yeah, know, but it, yes, early days, mum was definitely uh, more understanding. Uh, but, you yeah, know, I think yeah, she probably got... Yeah, you know, she got concerned and a little, you know, um, you know, and a couple of family things. I'm really, you know, I decided to, you know, get up in front of 50 adults and treat them to a little dance, you know, uh, you know, uh, and just make a bit of a fool of myself. And I think, you know, mum wasn't too appreciative of that sort of behaviour. But yeah, I think, you know, they didn't, mum didn't really cotton on to how how bad it was getting until later. Okay. So what about relationships then? Obviously, if you were a shy person, it was you didn't have a lot of relationships, but did alcohol help you with relationships? Yeah, it, it certainly helped me uh, being able to talk uh, to the opposite sex. And um, But, yeah, I was, I was a pretty messy drunk, particularly early days. And, um, yeah, but alcohol did give me that confidence to uh, approach women. But it, it did a lot more harm like I, I wrecked nearly every relationship I was in because of my alcohol and drug use you know that came later um, yeah yeah okay so do you want to give us a brief description of what a messy drunk your description of a messy drunk is what's yeah I like I would I would often wake up on like Ringwood train station Dandenong train station, any train station that was the end of the line. I can't tell you how many times I, you know, I got the, um, you know, the, the metro tapping me on the shoulder to get up and, you know, woke up on a bus to Carnegie once, you know. Uh, you know, I just, I was messy and I'd, I'd, I'd get lost. I'd, um, you know, I'd, I'd wake up and I'd, I would have wet myself and, you know, all that stuff was not great for my self-esteem, you know. All, all my mates drunk heavily, but you know, uh, I became a bit of you know the the clown of the group, I suppose. You know, the um that guy, and um, yeah. So that again, you know, it's a, it's the cycle. You know, you, you I drink because I'm uncomfortable and I feel really low in self esteem, and then I I I get drunk and I I you know it, it makes my self esteem worse. You know, that was that's how it went. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't sound too good. So leaving school then, did things change? Yeah, I suppose a, a big change for me was um, uh, when I started using uh, drugs because, as I said, I was a very messy, uh, messy drunk, and that messiness would put a, a kind of a full stop on my night because you know I would just pass out or, or whatever it was, but. Uh, when I started using drugs, um, you know, ecstasy at first, that for me, that was a re almost spiritual experience when I first had that because um, I could really start connecting with other people. Like, you know, I, and I could, you know, I could go for hours and I could, um, you know, I could, you know, when I was drunk, I could walk up to a bunch of women and, you know, I had the confidence to do it, but it wouldn't necessarily go very well. But when I, when I had drugs in my system, I could actually communicate and, um, have confidence and yeah that was um yeah that was yeah and, and but then obviously um like there was more serious consequences with the drug use and um i you know started progressing to harder drugs and uh yeah my life started going downhill pretty quickly this was about the age of you know 19 20 and I, well, that's not true. Like it, the first few years, it was it was great. I loved it. I um, you know got into the Melbourne dance music scene, and um, it was it was it was really fun for a little while. And uh, yeah, some of my mates were doing it at that stage. But after about two or three years, they kind of they'd done their dash, and and I I kept going, and uh, I'd started distancing 
distancing myself from my mates. I was using harder drugs. I started using uh, intravenously and yeah, I was, but through all of that, I somehow I managed to um, like maintain a, a job in the finance industry and I'd kind of, I'd kind of lived this double life where I'd uh, Monday through Friday, I'd, I'd rock up, do my job and then um, Friday would come around and, and this is where alcohol is such an, an even though there was a lot of drug use, alcohol's an important part of the story because it would always start with, oh, I'll just have a drink on a Friday night. I'll just have a couple of beers. And so often that couple of beers would turn into an entire weekend of, of drinking and drugging. And, I, you know, Monday would Monday would roll around every week and I'd, I'd, I'd have, like, so much, you know, mental and, you know, uh, physical pain and um, swear that I'd never do it again and you know I'm taking a break and and then sure enough next Friday would come around and I've forgotten all that stuff and I'm I'm, I'm learning you know I've learned that side of the disease which I never knew about that that ability to um to to rationalize the first drink yeah did you um did you drink to blackout sounds yes, like it yeah yeah, yeah absolutely Absolutely. So did you find out things that you'd done that, did people tell you things that you'd done that you weren't aware of? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, the boys would tell me, yeah, embarrassing stuff that I'd done. Yeah, that was a big part of it. And I'd, you know, I'd wake up, I'd, I'd sometimes I'd go to a party and I'd wake up at my house and my car was in my driveway and I had no recu- no recollection of driving home. Yeah. Which is really scary stuff. Like yeah. very lucky, I think, you know, really scary. So driving, driving in blackout, you know, that happened a, a bunch of times. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I remember talking to a, to a guy in AA who um, was from England and um, he was in a blackout and he, he woke up in Spain and had no idea how he got there. That was a classic. Uh, well, I think it's, uh, I'm lucky that I don't live in Europe because I'm, I'm certain that would happen to me. <laughs> yeah living a double life is a real challenge so how did you cope with that you know sort of trying to make out you had a normal life at work mm. was it mm. difficult yeah it was like I always felt it got worse and worse that feeling but I always felt like um yeah, yeah that I was just putting on a show or that I was a bit of a you know I felt like at work yeah I was putting on this persona and always in the back of my mind, it was like, you don't know the real me, or if only you knew the real me. Um, I'm different. I'm different to all of you people. Um, that was a growing feeling that I had. Yeah, this feeling of not really fitting in in that uh, normal society. Yeah, I, re- I remember working and there was a guy there who drank too much. I was just really young at, at work and... Um, He'd come in on Monday mornings and he'd have lots of cuts on his face from shaving. <laughs> Obviously hung over. And, yeah, I, I sort of remember that. But um, he tried to keep it pretty uh, pretty straight. But, yeah, I think most people were on to him. Start to, yeah, start to see the cracks. I remember rocking up on a Monday and my, my nerves were absolutely shot. Like I was, you know, I was just a nervous wreck. And um, this guy came up to me in the tea room and said, hey, mate, how's it going? And I almost had a heart attack. Like, I jumped, my hands went up. I looked at him with this, like, look of fear on my eyes and, like, he must have, you know, little things like that. I'm sure people go, okay, there's something going on with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So progressing on, you know, if you, it takes a fair bit of money to drink and use drugs for mm. a weekend. So was it? Becoming a bit of an issue for you financially. Yep, yep. I uh, I went. I had to declare bankrupt about the age of twenty six. I'd uh, I'd managed to rack up about sixty seventy thousand worth of credit card and loans and yeah, absolutely completely unmanageable financially. Uh, I always had an income, so I was able to borrow. But yeah, I yeah I had to do that. I'd um. I'd always be, you know, 
first few days after payday, I'd be rich and maybe the first weekend after payday, I'd have a good time and then it'd just be, you know, living on two minute noodles and just scraping by. I lived pay to pay my whole life, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So did that affect your work? I'm um, saying being bankrupt, was that an issue in your industry? I, th- I was lucky in that, yeah, I was, I was still able yeah, to get employment. Uh, yeah, it's... Um, it's, it's, it only stops you from getting certain um, certain types of jobs, I think. But the types of jobs I was doing, you know, it didn't it didn't prevent me. So, yeah. and you know, I, I could always I could always um, find a good you know story to to explain why why it occurred. Yeah. So, yeah. So, what about relationships during that period? Was that was there anybody close to you or not? And during the uh what which period is that oh well i guess between 20 and 26. no did you let people close to you no no i don't think so i didn't have any capacity really uh yeah i yeah i didn't have any any serious relationships in that time um and you know as i said you know from from the good people in my life the good friends i kind of distanced myself from them because uh, they, they weren't doing the lifestyle that I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so did that mean you took up with people who drank and partied? Definitely. Yeah. 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 I found, I found those people and um, yeah, they were, and you know, I, I felt as though I was making really strong connections with those people at the time, but really the entire relationship was centered around our, our drug and alcohol use. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, take the drugs and alcohol away, and we didn't have a relationship. There was no, no there was no catching up sober. There was no, we wouldn't know what to say to each other sober. No, that's, that's right. That's the tragic thing, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, we might take a uh, short break there. If you're wrestling with feelings of anxiety, worry, and depression, or finding the current social isolation measures hard to deal with, we would like to encourage you to call Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. We're here to talk if you are seeking information about mental health or mental health services or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Wellways Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. If you feel it would be helpful to talk to someone about these issues during this difficult period, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300 111500. That's 1300 111500. Wellways supports 3CR. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, if you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then you can either head to your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our show's webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free Show and how you can contact us. Today I'm talking with Paul about recovery from alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, so, Paul, you, we sort of left you talking about um, being about 26 and going bankrupt due to your drinking and drug using. So what impact did that have on your life? Um, the, the bankruptcy? or Yeah. Just, yeah. Not a lot. I, su- I suppose it was it's just one of many wake-up calls that I had along the way where I knew, knew things were not going great. I think I did a geographical to Adelaide and... Um, you know, I could do these things where I'd get sober for a little while and uh, 
I, I got into Buddhism and, you know, at, you know, kind of thought I was looking for answers there, but uh, I could never sustain it. And, uh, and I didn't. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was able to, you know, maintain employment through the whole period. And, um, but yeah, I could never get any, any length of sobriety up. So what, why did you try to stop? Oh, because, um, you know, I did, I did lose, although I maintained employment, I lost jobs. I, I was in a lot of pain as well. Like, you know, I was, I was hurting a lot like these, you know, when I wasn't using, uh, it was pretty painful Monday through, uh, Wednesday, Thursday. And yeah, I was, I was losing friends. I was, I felt like I was, a, you know, felt like I was completely fragile and broken and uh, I wanted to get sober and healthy and uh, I wanted to feel good about myself and uh, I wanted to live healthy, but I just, I just couldn't seem to do it. So how long did it take you before things got really, really bad? Well, yeah, what happened for me was, um, about 29 i ended up um uh, getting a woman pregnant and um that was that was scared the hell out of me because i was in no condition to be a father and uh, i i didn't really have any life skills uh sober and i was petrified and uh, i actually out of pure fear i went and found myself in an aa in the aa rooms because i wanted to get sober i knew i couldn't be drinking and using as a dad and um, I, I, I did a few meetings and, uh, and unfortunately I didn't see any of the steps on the wall. Um, I might have glanced at them, but I didn't really get any sense of them. Uh, and I didn't really understand AA from those uh, meetings that I went to. I, you know, I, I identified that I was an alcoholic uh, or that I, maybe I didn't even do that. I identified that I had a big problem with alcohol. And, uh, you know, I, I stayed sober outside of the rooms on pure willpower and yeah, desire to, um, to be, do the right thing by my son. Um, and, but yeah, I, I think about six months into his life, um, I wasn't coping. Um, it was very difficult with his mum and uh, we went together, but there was custody issues and, um, yeah, I was, I'm still the same you know, scared, scared uh, kid in a man's body with um, with no understanding of how to be in the world, and I don't have drugs and alcohol to soothe me. And um, so I, I got prescribed. Uh, I went to a doctor and said I'm having panic attacks, and I I, uh, I I got prescribed Valium, and that was that was my new solution. And um, for the next, you know, eight nine years. I was I was essentially a Valium addict, and um, and I uh, told myself that the the drinking problem was over, and um, you know that was the thing of my twenties. Um, but really, I was just deferring the problem, and um, and it all caught up with me when I was thirty seven. So three years ago, I, I got um, I got another woman pregnant, and I just didn't know how I was going to uh, cope. I couldn't see how I could make it all work. Uh, and, you know, the previous nine years, I'd, I'd built up some financial security and my career had started going well because I wasn't drinking and drugging on the weekends. And, yeah, I, I thought life was going okay because externally I had some things happening, you know, it looked good externally. Um, but internally I was a mess and I, was, I would have panic attacks and... Uh, and anyway, I I tried to make it work, but I was I was full of resentment at, at what was happening to my life. You know, I didn't really I couldn't really see my part in that, you know, which I can now. But um, yeah, I was I was angry and I was really frustrated. I was just remember just being super super frustrated. Like I'm trying to make this life work and I'm trying to do the right thing, and I'm just not coping. And I, I started um, I started using again. Uh, shortly after my little daughter was born and um, and things this time like went down really, really fast. I lost my job in about a month. 
Uh, I'd been there about six years after a few promotions. Um, uh, you know, I went from using um, cocaine as a bit of a protest to I started using uh, meth again. Uh, and then I was, um, you know, shortly after that I was injecting and um, within about six months I lost everything. I lost all my money. I lost my kids. I lost... Uh, I lost uh, contact with my family and friends. I managed to push all of them away in a pretty nasty way. And, um, you know, I'd always thought I could keep it together for my, uh, for my son in particular. And I, and I largely had with the help of Valium. Uh, and I was, I was really shocked that, um, that uh, I could turn my back on him. And that really, that was, uh, that was extremely confronting, you know really 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 painful you know to um to you know love your child and you know love your kids and um to know that you're you're not there for them and that they're suffering and and knowing that that's based on the choices you made and um that just tore me apart but it didn't get me sober and um so what 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 why did why were you pushing people away because they were trying to control you or yeah, absolutely. You know, my family uh, were trying to intervene and um, trying to get me to see that what I was doing was wrong. And, you know, the disease uh, yeah, allowed me to, you know, rationalise what was going on. Even even with my life in complete and utter carnage and chaos, I could, I could say that you're overreacting, you know. And I remember, like, when they found out about the intravenous drug use and they were making this, quote-unquote, big deal about it. And uh, I remember, like, saying it's not a big deal it's just complete and utter delusion you know because i have to be able to rationalize it because i have to be able to keep using yeah so yeah i did and i i you know my family tried to intervene uh particularly with my kids and i got really aggressive and i made threats towards them and did a lot of damage there and that's yeah that's how i pushed them away and you know family and friends were were still there and on, on their outer just making sure that you know, I'm lucky in that respect that they were there, there, like saying, hey, you know, we, you know, if you ever come back to reality, we're here for you. But I didn't want to come back. I, I really didn't. I just, um, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's very common from the people I talk to that their families are there willing to help, but there's no, there's no willingness at the other end. So, yeah, they've just got to cool their heels until something happens. So yeah. what happened that, caused you then to th rethink that things had to get better yeah I, I i had this um i had this episode where um i hadn't you know i'd been pushing away the thought of my my son and um because i you know i couldn't i couldn't exist in the world that i was living in and be thinking about my son and then it all just caught up with me one night and um i think i saw a photo of him on my phone or something and i just i had like a like a, some sort of breakdown for about 20 minutes where I was just, you know, the reality of what was happening kind of hit me and I had, a, you know, a, a moment of grace, I suppose, or a moment of clarity. And um, and I, I got up the next day and I got in touch with some old friends who'd been, who'd been through this sort of stuff. And with their help, I managed to get booked into um, a rehab. Uh, am I allowed to say the name? Is that okay? Or? Yeah. Yeah, I, I got booked into Malvern Private and, you know, it was a two-month waiting period. I had, um, they were, the insurance company was really good. They, you know, I told them, I was honest with them and they said, yeah, just add this to your policy and you got a two-month wait period. So that was it. I had that moment of grace and uh, I got booked in. Uh, but even after all of that and that episode, I, um, you know, I th a couple of weeks later, and I, I, I tell this story because it really, to me, shows the insanity of the disease. I, I was unemployed. I was in a complete mess and um, my life was in ruins. And two weeks after all of that and getting booked in, I think uh, the Cats were playing in a final and I, I thought it'd be okay to go and have a few beers and watch the Cats at the local pub. And the, the delusion was that I could still do that. And yeah, and then following on from that, I had another six weeks of heavy, heavy uh, drug use before I finally got in into Melbourne. And uh, by the time that two months came around, 
uh, it took my mates who booked me in coming around to my house to pick me up and take me in there because I, I still I still didn't want to go. But, you know, thankfully, they're really good friends and they got me in there. And, um, uh, and yeah, I remember my mate, he... Um, because he he'd been in there for um, cocaine addiction, and uh, he 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 sat me down about three days out from it, and he said, "Mate, the only I don't care if you go out and use because I know you're going to." But he said, "All that matters is that at 8 a.m. on Tuesday, you're at Malvern Private. That's all that matters." And that was the best advice I could have got, you know. Uh, and yeah, that got me in there. Yeah, it, it, it's very common for people once they know they're going into rehab to just have one final. Oh yeah, <laughs> sort of their last fling. It, it seems it seems unusual to people like you know who who don't drink or, or use, but um, but apparently it's a it's a very common theme. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I did enjoy those last two days. I must admit, like that was yeah. I knew it was my last hurrah, and I. Yeah, I certainly made the most of it. I was I was using up until ten minutes before they picked me up. You know, um, yeah. But um, thank God, thank God they uh, they got me in there. That's, yeah, I just needed to get in there. I needed a circuit breaker. Yeah. Um, so, how did you find it once you got in? What was it like? Yeah, it was. Uh, there was a lot of things. It was scary and it was scary at first, but what I what I really got out of it was, you know, that I'd found other people that were like me and up until that point, I'd always thought there was just something wrong with me, you know. Turns out there was something wrong with me, but uh, I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict, but uh, I, I saw that there are other people that were having the same feelings and the same life stories as me. And that was really comforting. And to be honest, from where I'd come from, just, you know, eating food, uh, getting looked after and was, you know, it was quite nice, you know. But the hardest thing was um, was dealing with the anxiety, you know. I was, um, fortunately, they, I, I, you know, they do give you Valium to, to help with that for the first two weeks to ease you, ease you into it. Um, but eventually in there I had to, I had to learn to, socialize and interact with people without drugs and alcohol and that was always my problem um but you know it was in a really safe environment with lots of help around me and um i reckon that's one of the most important parts of the the recovery journey is um is teaching yourself that you can you can socialize and you you will teaching yourself that that anxiety that we feel that we've always avoided our whole lives does you do get through it it's just anxiety and it's just uncomfortable and you wake up the next day and by going through that bit by bit you know you, you teach yourself that it's you can get through it it's not the end of the world to be uncomfortable and that was that was that was a big learning experience but by far and away the most important thing about Malvern was um the you know learning about the 12 steps and AA and getting introduced to that you know yeah. What What about understanding the disease concept of alcoholism? Did that um, help? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. You know, I'd always understood the once I start, I can't stop side of the disease. Uh, that was evident. You know, I, I knew that. But um, learning about the uh, the strange mental twist. You know, that the you know learning about why I can I always pick up again. That was that was really educational and helpful, and you know, gave me understanding around why my life had gone the way it had gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole concept that you can't control your first thought, I think, is really really important. That um, and that's why self will can't get you through because yeah. you can't stop that first thought from happening. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The delusion that that delusion is, um, I'm powerless over that. Yeah. 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 So what did your family think when you got into rehab? I think they were um, cautiously hopeful, but very cautious. They, um, there was so much mistrust from my family because of the way that I'd behaved and the lies. And, um, yeah, so I had to, you know, I really, 
really had to work through that and it took time to get that trust back and like internally I knew that I'd had a shift something had changed I had that step one experience but they didn't know that and uh, it took me <laughs> they just they're just seeing the same old Paul who said he doesn't want to drink again and doesn't want to use and he means it and I, I had that conversation with them dozens of times in my life but it was different for me internally and um, yeah, thankfully with sponsorship and other people, I, you know, I got taught to be patient around that, you know, that it's going to take them time to believe me. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, we might take another short break there. If you care for a friend or someone in your family with disability, a medical condition, or who is elderly, Carer Gateway can help you get free support. Carer Gateway has lots of services to help carers. There's counselling, financial and peer support, and online courses that you can do at your own pace. They also have respite services to help you look after the person you care for while you take a break. Call Carer Gateway on 1800 422 737 or visit the website carergateway.gov.au. A 3CR supporter. Yeah, join me at 11 every Friday for some black and deadly sound. Appreciate community radio 855 on the AM dial. Voice of the people, the people. Black and deadly Friday, Robbie Fort Radic Radio. Voice of the people, the people. Black and deadly Friday, Robbie Fort Radic Radio. 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 Uh, this is a Living Free Show on 3CR, on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And I'm talking with Paul about recovery from alcoholism with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. So, Paul, you've been in rehab. You came out. You had a new approach to life. So what was the thing that was your first challenge? I think the uh, first challenge was, I suppose, like just dealing with the obvious is dealing with uh, people sober and uh, I know personal challenges I had were around my getting my kids back and trying to, to mend those relationships. But, you know, I was lucky that, you know, my, my dad was really there for me and uh, I had a place to live, which helped a lot. And so really my, you know, I got a sponsor straight out of rehab, which really helped. Like as soon as I left rehab, I was, I was meeting with my sponsor and he got me into a home group and, you know, I didn't have too much time to deviate and get myself into trouble because I, str- I was straight into that that family and that network and that support. You know, financially it was it was a struggle. Like I, I didn't have a, a dollar to my name. I didn't have an income. That was tough. That was pretty humbling. How long did it take you to get a job? Yeah, good question. It took me about three to four months to even try working my brain was that scrambled and yeah and and the first job that I got didn't work out you know I just my brain just wasn't working like it used to for quite a long time and I found it really difficult but it was uh it was it was good to be able to focus on recovery to be honest that's where I needed to be like I needed to be focusing on on uh getting recovery and, and the steps yeah, it was really hard. My, I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought I permanently cooked my brain and uh, I was never going to be able to work in that field again. But that is definitely not the case. And, you know, my brain is, is probably working better now than what it ever has, but it just took it took time. Okay. So how long did you need to spend sort of focusing on yourself and recovery to get to the point where you're happy being with other people? Yeah, I mean, it was just, it's just been a gradual getting more comfortable with yeah, um, socialising and interacting with people sober. And, you know, that real social anxiety that always plagued me, I, I, I think a, a, around the two-year mark, it, it, it kind of went, you know. That's where it... But it was a, a dramatic improvement pretty early on, you know, from about three months sober, uh, it started getting a lot better. And it just gradually improved, I think, over time. Yeah. So how does um, going to AA help with that? Uh, part of it, I think, is being able to socialise with, um, like, training wheels on in, in some ways, like in, in, the, in that supportive environment of the, of the rooms. And there's, like, there's an amazing lack of judgement 
and acceptance from other uh, people in the rooms, which kind of really helps. That uh, you know, I've been taught slowly but surely um, that it's okay to you know admit my faults and my insecurities and my fears. And you know, when you're taught that it's okay to admit that you have anxiety or it's okay, yeah, that really helps. And the steps, you know, that going through the actual steps of you know reorientating the way that you approach life and uh, cleaning up some of the mess you've made, understanding why you think the way you do and some of the patterns of behaviour and thinking that have that have caused you to have this low self-esteem. All, you know, it's all in there. Uh, it's That's the magic of the steps is that it, um, yeah, it kind of heals you from the inside out, you know? Yeah. So what about resentments? That was that seems to be you know one of the key things. Fears and resentments are things that that drive alcoholics. So how did you go looking at your resentments? Yeah, I mean when I got in, uh, when I first heard about this, um, the steps and um, you know you you look at having to make amends uh, or you know having to confront some of these resentments. By the time that I got to doing my step four. Some just through the process of being in AA and and going through steps one, two, and three, a, a, a bunch of those resentments had just already disappeared. They they weren't resentments anymore. But yeah, the the step four process really has re- relieved me of all of those resentments. Some of them took longer, one in particular, but the vast majority of them, you know, got worked out, and I, I didn't have to carry them around with me. But there's you know, there's a process for it, and it and it works. Yeah, yeah. A lot of resentments I found were based on expectations of others that, you know, it wasn't their fault, but I expected them to do stuff that they didn't do. So I had a resentment, and uh, I think it's they're easy things to get, and they're very hard to drop. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the but the um, seeing uh, with a lot of them, it was, um, you know, with most resentments, I, I feel like I had done nothing to contribute to them. And it was just demonising the other person. And then when you look at it close, more closely, you can, you know, it's, that's not necessarily the way these resentments are. Yeah. No, no, it's what part did I play? And it's usually, uh, it's usually a pivotal, <laughs> pivotal role. <laughs> yeah. How about reconciling with the mothers of your children? Did they take a long time to trust the new you? Sure, sure did. Yeah. And I got a lot of help from my sponsor around that. But yeah, like I, uh, I wasn't able to see my son early days, and there was a, little, you know, I initially wanted to fight to get my son back, and I, you know, I wanted to go to court, and I wanted to do this, and uh, that was the only way I knew how to to operate with conflict. But yeah, I was, you know, I was taught that I don't have to respond to text messages. That was yeah. a really big one, as a yeah. massive one. I, you know, to not engage in these type of things and to not add fuel to the fire and I'd always done that and basically I was taught be humble show up and be a good dad if you get the opportunity be respectful and yeah that behavior consistently behaving that way with the help of my sponsor and a few mistakes along the way uh, gradually built that trust and healed that relationship and you know they knew that I was serious and they knew that I'd you know, that I was stable and, yeah, I got I got both my kids back and I have them now more in my life than what I did prior to the big, big meltdown. Yeah. So uh, did they seek things like Al-Anon to get help to understand you or did your family sort of get help as well? My, I think my dad, dad did. Dad uh, did a couple of Al-Anons. And, you know, Dad, I was living with Dad, so we were talking a lot and, you know, I was telling him a lot about AA and how it works and he's, you know, he's since kind of shown an interest in that field, which is really cool. Um, But, yeah, so it was, he's, he understands heaps about the disease now. But, yeah, the the mothers, that was, I kind of didn't really encourage them to to do that, kind of figured that was their, their journey. But, yeah, I don't think... I've had incidental conversations with them and, um, you know, they're getting some understanding of it. Yeah. 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 I, my dad's an alcoholic. So having, having been to Al-Anon, it was easier to accept his drinking 
if you understood it in a disease concept, the fact that he wasn't doing it intentionally to hurt you, he was just doing it because he had to do it because he had deeper problems, you know. And it was a way of him coping with those problems rather than, you know, intentionally inflicting harm on us. Yeah, yeah it's a really interesting point. Maybe it's something I could look at, you know, like, um, to, you know, to guide them or to suggest that to them. I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, 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 helped, it helped me to get over his behaviour and I think that's, um, you know, I think that's a really good thing and we had a really good relationship. My dad uh, lived on for another 25 years after I got into Alaron and he never went to AA and he drank and he caused a whole lot of problems but we had a good relationship as much as you can with an active alcoholic yeah, um, yeah. and he sort of, he enjoyed me coming around to see him because I didn't criticise him and yeah. try and get him to change. Um, yeah, yep. And that was a bit of a, an issue with my family because they were always trying to get him to change and, you know, it was always conflict. Good good luck trying to get an alcoholic to change, hey? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay, so now you're in AA then. What's, how's, how different is your life now to what it was when you were in the, the full full fling of um, alcoholism and drugs. Oh, yeah. Like, it's not even, it's not even the same person in my mind. Like, I can't, there's there's nothing. There's no common ground. Other, You know, there's no common ground. You know, you know the biggest difference is how much um, connection I have in my life now. Like, I have so many um, friends from AA and I've, I've reconnected with my family, my extended family. You know, I've reconnected with old friends. Um, that's the number one thing is, you know, you know, I've, I've phone calls throughout the day. Um, I have, you know, pre-lockdown, you know, catching up with friends. There's just so much more connection in my life than what there used to be. And I couldn't, I couldn't make a phone call pre-recovery unless I'd had like three Jim Beam cans and a Valium and a Siggy in my hand. And then I might feel like I'd, uh, I'd want to pick up the phone. Uh, yeah. And, you know, now I'm on the phone three or four times a day and if I ever get a spare moment, my first thought is, oh, who can I call? Like that's, that's, the, main, that's the main difference. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a real change from isolation, isn't it? Yeah, complete, complete yeah. turnaround. And, the main, and also, like, I, you know, I feel okay, you know, I, I, I feel okay within myself. Like I don't have that fear of meeting people. You know, I just feel, I feel okay and I never thought I'd feel that way. I never thought I'd have that. Normal. Normal. Yeah. I didn't understand how people could do life sober. I just, it was, it was a foreign concept to me and now I'm, I'm getting to experience it. Yeah. Yeah, it's about becoming a part of society again and, you know, really living and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, there's, um, and also, like, there's more hope. There's more, um, you know, the, the, the future kind of looks... A broader like there's there's options there that i didn't think were there yeah so have you got back to things like running yes i have yeah like health and fitness is another thing that is coming slowly but surely but um for me like uh yeah exercise and fitness has always been really important for my mental health even even in recovery like uh with you know working the steps and AA and all the stuff that comes with recovery. If I'm not um, if I'm not exercising and looking after my body, then it does really affect my experience. So I think that's what is happening in recovery. Is, you know, bit by bit, you start. You know, you get this baseline of kind of um, stability, and then gradually, I'm, you know, there's areas in my life that are impacting how good my experience of the world is, and they they just get uncovered and. I, you know, I go, well, I don't want to feel that anymore. I don't want to feel lethargic all the time. I don't want to feel overweight, you know. I, you know, so sleep and diet and exercise and all these things, uh, you know, just coming into view and, you know, chipping trying to chip away at them. Yeah. So what about relationships now? Is you sort of able to normalise that? Uh, like uh, intimate relationships? Yeah. Yeah, I... Uh, they, they say that you're not supposed to date in the first 12 months of recovery. So on, on 12 months and one day, I, I downloaded about six dating apps 
and uh, was on a mission and uh, I got into a relationship uh, probably a bit too fast and but it was still it was still a much healthier relationship than I've experienced in the past and uh, it, it didn't work out but there was you know part of the inventory process is working out how you want to behave in that area and you know I kind of behaved uh, in that way, particularly with ending it. So yeah, it's. Um, but you know what? I don't. I don't feel like. You know, I'll, although I will down, download the dating apps and I'll 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 look to um, fill that hole. Uh, you know, with validation from women or you know thinking that a relationship is going to make life better. But for the most part, I don't have that real strong need for a relationship anymore, like like I used to, because I'm I'm feeling a bit more content but yeah it's, it's definitely one of the things that comes up is you know and i don't want to you know sit here and say that i've got life all worked out and it's all you know it's all roses and perfect like i still i still you know i, I still look for other areas to make myself feel good and yeah but it's uh it's just a progress not perfection as they say yeah so what about um independence so you've been able to move out of your family from your family and yep 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 i um I've, I've got my own place now and i got that october last year so it took a while I, I wanted to get get out of my dad's house within a year but you know it took two years and uh but yeah now you know financially i'm uh i'm in a in a better position than i've ever been in and that's you know, the bar wasn't too high, but, uh, you know, there's, it's, uh, it's, yeah, I've got, you know, I'm not living pay to pay and I'm able to save, uh, I'm able to stick to a budget because you can't stick to a budget when you're, you know, when you're an alcoholic or a drug addict. Cause you can't stick to anything. Yeah. You can't stick to anything. So, yeah. I know. Well, I think that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Paul for sharing his recovery experience with us and talking about how Alcoholics Anonymous has helped him. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Bill. If you'd like to go online, uh, you can find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous. If you go to aa.org.au and you can find out more information and details of local meetings, or you can phone them on 1300 2 I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll feature Faye M. Therese from Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned now for Alternative. Community radio is your antidote to social isolation. Stay connected and listen to 3CR. 855 AM, 3CR digital and streaming and podcasting online at 3cr.org.au.